So the uh, the best concert you ever went to? That was the question uh, that was asked uh, a couple of months ago. I was out with friends. Uh, this was before COVID, and we were somebody brought up a concert uh, that we all had been at years ago, and then the conversation led to uh, the best one you ever at were at, and uh, you know why and so on. Oh, and then it, and then it, the conversation became a little more, or well, the question a little more specific. What was the best concert moment uh, you ever experienced that you remember? Um, so it might not have even been the best entire show, but a moment or a song at a particular concert. So uh, anyway, kind of thought about it. We were all going around the table and I mean, I've seen uh, Bruce Springsteen, I think about seven or eight times. So that was for me was kind of first person I think I really thought about. Um, I've seen you two, I think uh, three times. Amazing in concert. So Billy Joel at the Garden three or four years ago. Incredible night. As, as great as they all were, I actually didn't pick uh, any of them. There was this, uh, back in the late 90s, there was this Irish music festival uh, on Randall's Island. In fact, it was uh, they did it two years in a row. Guinness sponsored it. Um, it was huge. It was kind of like, like an Irish Woodstock. Um, Every big name in, in Irish music was pretty much at this festival. And I just love Irish music. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy on a certain, you know, Springsteen in concert, U2. I mean, I, I know it seems probably a little ridiculous. Why would you, why would some Irish act top any of those? But for me, they do. As much as I love those bands, um, my concert moment was at this Irish festival. There used to be back in the 1960s, there was a band, an Irish band that uh, became pretty, pretty well known. They were kind of like, uh, they sort of revived Irish music, Irish folk music in the 60s. They were called the, uh, the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem. And they were relatively big by, you know, Irish music standards. They were on the Ed Sullivan show a bunch of times and Carnegie Hall every year, uh, Columbia Records. They were kind of a big deal. It was these three brothers, the Clancy's, and this guy, Tommy Makem. Tommy Makem was playing at this festival that I was at. And I love him. I've seen him a million, had seen him so many times. He wrote this particular song, really his most famous. It's called Four Green Fields. It's a powerful song. It's really like a metaphor for Ireland. Um, their long history of struggle, struggle for independence, really. And uh, the central character of this very short song is this woman, and she she represents Ireland. This old woman. She's got these four fields. One's been stolen. One's been taken, which is Northern Ireland. And in the course of this song, she says that she's got sons who went to fight to take back that field. But they lost. They lost the fight. So not only did she lose her, her field, but she lost her sons in the fight. Anyway, like most Irish songs, it's very sad. Um, 
I usually need a prescription of Prozac after a couple of Irish songs. But um, the last verse is pretty interesting and actually kind of hopeful. It says this. I had four green fields. One of them is in bondage. In strangers' hands, they tried to take them from me. But my sons had sons, as brave as were their fathers. My fourth green field will bloom once again, said she. Anyway, he sang that song, and I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, the place just went berserk. It was probably, a, I don't know, three or 4,000 people maybe under this huge tent fists pumping in the air as he was singing this song. Everybody was singing it with him. So loud. I'm telling you, I would have joined, if I could have, I would have joined the IRA that afternoon. That's how kind of wild this moment in this song was. Um, that was my moment. Um, I heard him sing that song a bunch of times before <coughs> and a bunch of times after. But that one was that was one for the ages for me. There's another song, Irish song, that I heard that day, I'm sure, a couple of times from different artists. In fact, it was probably more famous than the one I just mentioned. It's written by this guy, Phil Coulter. He's still alive. He grew up in Northern Ireland, probably, you know, in the I guess the late forties and in the fifties. And it's a powerful, it's an awesome song. It describes growing up in Northern Ireland, in Derry. And he just describes this great childhood, living in this town and just it being so good and so right. And then he grows up and he goes away and pursues his career in, in music and he leaves home. And in the course of leaving home, his, his town changes in terrible ways. The troubles come and this town that he loved has become war-torn and violent, barbed wire everywhere. It's been reduced to rubble. And he's heartbroken. And that's really what he <clears throat> writes about in this song. He's got an interesting final verse, too. Listen to this. He says, For, what, for what's done is done, and what's won, what is won is won. What is lost is lost and gone forever. I can only pray for a bright, brand new day in the town I love so well. It's an equally, I think, great song. It's got a very different ending, or a different spirit, I guess. What's done is done. What's won is won. And what's lost is lost, and it's gone. Like, I think, in other words, like, let it go. Let it go. Compare that to the first song I mentioned, the one I heard in that festival. The end of that song, but my sons had sons as brave as their fathers. My fourth green field will bloom once again, said she. In other words, I think, <clears throat> like no surrender. We're not gonna give up the fight. No surrender. It's kind of interesting, you got these two songs, I think anyway, pretty much the same story. Same country, the same time frame, the same injustice, the same enemy, but a very different response at the end. Let it go, 
and no surrender. And I love both of those songs. And I really love both of those endings. But they really are different. You know, imagine this for a moment. Imagine Jesus. Jesus being here in Long Beach. In fact, Jesus is sitting, uh, Jesus is at Shines for a few. Or Nolan's. Just a few, and he's hanging out, and in either of those places, those two songs come on. And he's sitting there, and he's kind of just listening to the words, Jesus is. Which one do you think he's going with? Which one you think he's going to say, nah, this, this, is the, this is the more right? Well, if you look at this gospel, the gospel we just heard, I don't think there's much of a question. This gospel, pretty much all the gospels, pretty much all the time, Jesus is saying, would you just let it go? No vengeance. Stop fighting back. I mean, this parable, it's pretty clear. You show no mercy, you get no mercy. So you better show mercy. That's kind of what he's saying. First reading, the Old Testament, it says, wrath and anger are hateful things. The sinner hugs them first. So let it go. I mean, they're both saying the same thing. You know, when uh, Nelson Mandela, he spent 27 years in prison because he fought to end apartheid in South Africa. He fought against oppression and injustice. And they put him in jail for a quarter of his life. When he got out, ultimately he became president. But when he was leaving the jail, this is what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And he forgave those who hurt him and oppressed him, humiliated him, and he healed the nation. I mean, he healed the nation. I think because he let it go. I think because he kind of played this gospel out. But it's so hard, isn't it? It's easy to say it. It is so hard to do it. When you've been hurt. Especially when you've been hurt by somebody you care about. I mean, it's bad enough when a stranger hurts you. But if it's somebody you love, who's hurt you, or betrayed you, I mean, it's brutal. The hurt is brutal. And then the prospect of, like, showing mercy? I mean, usually we want to do the opposite. Or at least I do. Remember the, the line, remember the movie, uh, The Untouchables? I love that movie. It's a great line in it. Sean Connery is, uh, talking to uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner plays Elliot Ness. Connery is a cop. And they're going after Capone, Al Capone in Chicago. 
and he's very frustrated, uh, uh, Elliot Ness, because they can't seem to get him. So he says to this cop, Connery, like, <clears throat> what do we do? How do we get him? And he's got this kind of famous line. Connery says, you want to get Capone? This is what you do. If he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. I love that movie, <laughs> and I love that quote. I mean, I do. But it's really not this gospel. Like, it's no way this gospel. It's not let it go. It's actually the opposite. It's they pull a knife, you pull a gun. Push back harder. Show no mercy. That's not this gospel. But, you know what? He was also dealing with Al Capone. I don't know. This stuff is complicated sometimes, I think. When you're dealing with Capone, or whatever, or sort of a Capone-like enemy, I don't know, sometimes you do have to push back, right? I mean, look at what we remembered two days ago, 19 years ago on Friday. Are you going to say to Osama bin Laden, let it go? Of course not. Somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, and you're upstairs with your family and your kids, and somebody's, some bad guy's making his way up the stairs. That is not going to be a let it go moment. That's going to be a no surrender moment. And I think there's times in life when, yeah, that's what it's got to be. Or evil really does prevail. But how about when it's not Capone? And it's not Bin Laden. How about when it's your your mother or your sister-in-law or your brother or your sister or your best friend, your former best friend and you can't believe they did what they've done. They've objectively been terrible toward you. What do you do with them? They're not Capone. They're not Bin Laden. Have you seen my have you seen my my mother-in-law father? Maybe she No, there's no she's not Bin Laden. They're not Capone. They may be tough, but they're not them. So we can't get a pass from this gospel. You know, St. Augustine, the kind of a cool quote from Augustine, he says, there's no greater invitation to love than loving first. You be the one to not throw back a counterpunch as much as we want to. Don't pull the gun over the knife. Don't do the morgue over the hospital. Do none of those things, says this gospel. Be the one who tries to <coughs> love first. You know what? The end of it's kind of scary. Because Jesus is like, seriously blunt. He's like, listen. You show no mercy, you get no mercy. So those people in our lives that maybe we are treating like Bin Laden or Capone, and we kind of feel justified in it because of the horrible things they may have done, and because of it, 
You're not showing any mercy. We're not showing any mercy. Okay. But we show no mercy. We get no mercy when it's our time. So let's just sit with that in a sober moment. If I don't forgive the sins of others, God is not going to forgive mine. Hey, am I, am I, am I going to stop loving and playing and sometimes singing for green fields? No, <laughs> I'm not. I love it. And am I never going to watch The Untouchables again? No, I'm going to watch it again because I love that too. I'll listen to the song and I'll watch the movie. But this gospel, this very tough gospel, man, I better listen to it. I better watch it. Because it's gospel. It's what we need. So let it go.